getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. I'm getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. Well, I'm lumped up, but I'm okay. It's gonna get lumped up anyway. You better call back the posse. Just getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. Getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. All right, everybody. This is another episode of the Rocker Mike and Rob Presents show. I'm Rocker Mike. We got Rob Rossi to my left there on the screen. We have special guest today, Joe Janicek. Uh, Joe wrote a book about a band called The Plastic People of the Universe. Right. You got it there and I got it, I got it here. Okay. okay. Great book. Uh, we'll talk about this book. Uh, this band is, is very obscure. Uh, it's a little bit of a different kind of show for us today with this. I think a lot of people may not in, in America may not have heard of this band, but it, it's very important. I feel that we talk about it basically because what they represent uh, and how they got started and, and what they were influenced by. Um, the main question right now I say is, is who is the plastic people of the universe? And well, okay. how, how would you describe them, Joe? You are the expert on this band. Well, they are a band that formed in Czechoslovakia in 1968. And this was a time when there was a lot of uh, freedom in the country after many years of uh, control over the, over, the, over the people. Right. And it was uh, what they called the Prague Spring. And uh, that spring, there was a lot of freedom and the Russian uh, government, they, Russia controlled Czechoslovakia at the time, but they uh, they didn't like what Brezhnev didn't like what was going on over there in Czechoslovakia, and he put a new uh, person in charge of the Communist Party, and they really tightened the uh, control over the people. They didn't let them travel anymore. They controlled the uh, the radio, so. Uh, it wasn't as a result of the, uh, and then what happened is they called it the Warsaw Pact invasion. So mm -hmm. 100,000 tanks and uh, troops, uh, Russian troops came in and clamped down on uh, on Czechoslovakia. Right. And it wow. wasn't really a result of that. But at the time, there was a young 17-year-old kid named Milan Khalafsa, and he was into rock and roll like a lot of Eastern European teens were, and he decided to start a band. <clears throat> and... Um, so it just was coincidental that they he started the band a few a few months after the invasion, <clears throat> but at the time when the uh, <clears throat> when the invasion happened, um, you know the, the Russian government they were really more concerned with tightening control of the media and uh, you know putting the the Iron Curtain up basically, and they didn't worry about the teenagers playing rock and roll. Right. So you know they'd get around to that eventually, but for the first year they were more concerned with you know the you know, the higher level stuff. Let's, uh, so, let's kind of, let me just interrupt you for one second. Um, let's kind of paint a little picture here for the audience. Uh, 1964, the Beatles, all that. Okay. Uh, I, I think that in, in the West here, we kind of think it, it really just affected us. Okay. But going East, it had an effect as well uh, into some of these communist countries that, you wouldn't think had really any knowledge of what was going on because they were behind the iron curtain. 
but the, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, and bands like that uh, were really being heard in, in these countries, including Czechoslovakia, right? Exactly. Beatlemania was popular the whole world. And everybody, you know, all teenagers wanted to start a band when that happened. And, and he was one of them. And he uh, got his school friend who played guitar. And he couldn't play guitar himself, Mela. Mela. His nickname was Mela. So he, he figured out, I'll play a bass. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then he, they hired a couple other guys and they started uh, playing in, in local uh, local clubs. And then um, he was there was another band called the Primitive Primitives Group, and they were a psychedelic band. They had this guy named Ivan Giraud and uh, Giraud. He was really like the mastermind of, of the of the band of the Primitives because him and his uh, his sister and his friend and his uh, his wife. The four of them had like this artistic direction team and they used to put on like a multimedia show while the band was playing, just like Andy Warhol used to do with the Velvet Underground. I, I was I was going to say that um, the plastic people yeah. of the universe had had two major influences, one being the Velvet Underground. Yep. New York, the New, York under, New York band and the other one being Frank Zappa. Right. Right. Rob. Right. And uh, they got their name from the song plastic people by frank zapper and the mothers of invention that's right yep right. They, they took they, they didn't know what the song meant like a satirical attack on plastic people they yeah. just like that they just thought hey that's a cool name it sounds good um and then the funny yeah. story was that like soon after that there was ufos were spotted over prague really they said oh we'll, we'll call ourselves the plastic people of the universe so that's where they got the name they were, um, that I didn't know about the UFOs. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so, you know, they yeah that's what it cool refers name. to them, to the PPU. Yeah, <laughs> so people call them PPU. And, um, but this guy, Giro, when the primitives broke up, he saw the plastic people trying to do the same type of music. So he, he took the guitar player from the primitives and brought it over to the plastic people. Uh, and then they had a really good band and then they had this great artistic director. And they, uh, and at that time, 1970, let's say, the uh, the, com- the communist government really started to crack down on, on the young people as well and the rock and roll. Right. And they, they started a, a thing called normalization, where they tried to normalize the culture back to like what it was back in when Stalin, you know, was in charge. Yeah. So uh, all, believe it or not, all of the, the bands had to uh, perform a requalification test and they had to play play their music in front of a you know, like a jury, like a panel, like a panel. Yeah. And, um, wow. you know, if the people heard like English lyrics or they saw long hair or, you know, music that wasn't what they liked, they said, no, you're not going to get a license and they couldn't play. And that's what happened to the plastic people. So they had to play underground and, you know, they started to just play at like uh, private, private shows, concerts in the woods and stuff. Right. And uh, it was really underground, and uh, you know they would they would get arrested, they would get thrown in jail, and uh, beaten up, you know, by the cops. And uh, and this was you know later on it got worse and worse, but pretty much throughout the whole seventies and into the middle of the eighties, they were persecuted by the government. And uh, finally, in uh, 1987, uh, 1986, 87, uh, they broke up, and uh, Halafsa formed a new band. He called it Pulmots which means midnight in Czechoslovakia. And they were a more uh, guitar-based uh, band, younger people. 
and uh, he had some of the plastic people veterans with him but he had also younger people and they were also a really great band but uh i would say you know most of the people in america and even around the world that know about the plastic people they know about their story their, their, their story is famous because they um they got arrested in 1976 and thrown in jail and right. then support grew around the band and one of the guys supporting them was the playwright Václav Havel and Havel ended up um writing stories about them and uh later on you know they got out of jail and then they used to the only place they could play was like Havel's country cottage and they would play concerts at Havel's house with right. the police surrounding the you know the perimeter of the house of the of the, of the yard and um finally uh, you know, 1989 was the Velvet Revolution, they called it, where Havel was elected president. And uh, it's, you know, it's just a great story how uh, he wrote something called Charter 77. He was one of the people who drafted it. And this was a human rights manifesto that, uh, you know, got support for the plastic people and uh, it got support around the world. Uh, and, you know, that really caused uh, a crack in the uh, in the in the wall, you know, and, and yeah. it caused the, uh, the Russian government to fall in Czechoslovakia in 1989 so most of the people who know about the plastics they know that story that the plastics were like indirectly responsible for the revolution in czechoslovakia or they know maybe one album but i i, I remember in 89 hearing about them probably for the first time okay oh, really? yeah, yeah i didn't know about them before that um because I, I i guess just i just for some reason never heard of them yeah but uh um because i'm a big lou reed fan Okay. Okay. Um, I knew about how the band was very influenced by the Velvet Underground. And just coincidentally, today, March 2nd, is, is Louis's birthday. birthday. Right. I'm wearing my Lou shirt on. <laughs> right. And, and uh, he would have been 81 today. Had 81, he, huh? Yeah. Wow. He, it's been 10 years already he's dead. Wow. 2013. Wow. Yeah. Really so, um, being a big Lou Reed fan, and actually in 89, Lou had a big resurgence in his music because of the New York album. Yeah. All right. That was very successful and he was touring it. And word kind of got out about this, you know, president that was, you know, appointed in the Czech Republic, uh, elected. I shouldn't say appointed. He was freely elected mm -hmm. and uh, was a, a, a big Velvet Underground fan. And they were calling it the Velvet Revolution. And I was yeah. like, what? I'm like, how'd they even ever hear the Velvet Underground in communist Czechoslovakia in 1968? But like we were saying earlier, the, the, it had its ways of, of getting in. Yeah, uh, They probably had more fans in Czechoslovakia than they did in New York. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, which is nuts, but it's true. Yeah. Havel was, Václav Havel was always a rock and roll fan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he loved the music of the Plastic People. He loved uh, Velvet Underground, uh, White Light, White Heat, I think was his favorite. And um, he loved Zappa, Hot Rats and everything. Yeah. Zappa was the first one to go over to uh, Zappa was actually in Russia, I think, doing for working for like Financial News Network, doing a, an episode about economic trade or something. Mm -hmm. And he was in Russia. And then the Velvet Revolution happened and Zappa called up uh, Havel's government and said, I'd like to stop by and meet you. And so Zappa met him and that was a big thing. All the, the fans were there to greet Zappa at the airport. And uh, there's really cool video of that that you can see on YouTube. But um, then uh, Lou Reed heard about it and he said, you know, I want to I want to meet Havel too, because, you know, Lou Reed always, you know, considered himself a great writer. And he was. He was. And, um, you know, he admired Havel just as, as a playwright. 
who became president. He just thought it was a very great story. And then he gets over there, he meets Havel, and Havel, you know, just tells him this incredible story how, you know, him and the plastic people, you know, they were in jail and they used to read Lou Reed's lyrics, you know, for inspiration behind the behind the bars, you know. Wow. And uh, you know, and then um Lou Reed uh Havel took Lou Reed to uh, a concert that night and it was Pumats. It was the the reformed plastic people playing and Lou Reed joined them on stage for a few songs and uh, it was a really a historic moment and uh, they became lifelong friends for the rest of their lives Havel and Lou Reed and, and Lou Reed was a big fan of the plastic people yeah and I always tell everybody you know if, if you're a Lou Reed fan or if you're a Frank Zappa fan you need to know the story of the plastic people because it's it's intertwined it's intertwined yeah 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 um hey some some go ahead Rob I'm sorry uh, I was going to ask a question. Like, um, how did they like release that first album? How did they distribute the album? The people in um question. get to listen the listen to the songs. How will you get the uh, album of um the PPU? They um they recorded it. It's a great story. They recorded it in a abandoned castle, uh, in in the winter time in the basement of this castle. It's freezing, and they had to wear gloves on their hands and play their instruments and. And, uh, you know, it was illegal for them to make that music, but they recorded it. And then maybe a year later, tapes were smuggled out of the country um, and they made their way to England uh, where there was a Czech uh, expat living there. And he was always uh, supporting the band and uh, him and a, a Canadian guy named Paul Wilson, uh, who got kicked out of the coup. He was living in the country at the time. He was uh, working as a teacher. And then Yvonne Giraud, uh, hired him basically to, to help the plastic people learn how to sing songs in English uh, just because he was he spoke English and he right. became the, the lead singer of the band for a couple of years. But then when the plastics were arrested, Paul Wilson was kicked out of the country. He went to England and he hooked up with this guy named Yvonne Hartel. And those two guys put out uh, the, the first album, which was called Egon Bondi's Happy Hearts Club Band. <laughs> So basically, basically, in a nutshell, is that you know the, the the tapes of the master tapes of these recordings had to be done secretly, and then se done. then secretly smuggled out of the country. Yeah, which had to be hard to do just that. Okay, yeah. and then make its way to a free country like England and put on vinyl or you know CD or at that point whatever it was. Yeah, it was yeah. it was vinyl at that time, and yeah, uh, vinyl. Yeah, I first heard that album. The album came out. It was recorded in 73, 73, 74, uh, or 1974. Didn't come out till like late 78 in England and France only. And uh, I got a copy of it. It was an import, but I bought a copy of it in the mid 80s. Mm -hmm. And uh, ever since I heard it, I just flipped, I, you know, because the album came with the album, but also a big booklet telling the story, um, you know, of the Czech underground. Right. And, you know, obviously the plastic people. And I just thought it was, you know, an incredible story how this band went to jail for playing rock and roll. And uh, the well, in, your, in your book, in your book, Joe, uh, I think it's one of the first pages. Uh, you, you have a paragraph in here where you say the plastic people of the universe are one of the truest examples of artistic perseverance in the face of tyranny and also a perfect example of art imitating life. Wow. And I, I think that's very very true yeah 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 you know um th this band you know carried the torch of rock music it, it, when when their lives were in danger even just 
even looking rock and roll if they had long didn't they have to wear one of the guys wore a wig to hide his short hair and yeah, well, right well that was right at the beginning right the beginning. where they they were allowed to long wear long hair so one guy had short hair he put on a wig oh. but but years later when the when the russians uh, were doing the normalization you know they tried to get their license to, to play legally so right. they, they tucked their hair behind their collars uh, but uh, they didn't like the music that they were playing, so they they said, "No, you're not going to get the license." But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, right? I mean, what other band really can say that they were responsible for the revolution of a country and they went to jail for playing rock and roll? You know, they, they're a unique example. And I I wrote a good letter to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I said, you know, these guys should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because they embody rock and roll, uh, you know, spirit, you know, as much as any other band and uh, they're not as well known, but they should be. You know. You get an answer? Not yet. <laughs> I don't think you will. <laughs> I'm, I, not, I'm not keeping my fingers. Yeah, yeah I, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. But, right, right. but I mean, they're more concerned with, you know, popular stuff, and yeah, I have no use for that museum. And but if they got in, that would that would definitely give it some good street cred. Yeah. You know, being in there. Yeah. Um. You wrote the first, like, real main mainstream kind of article about the band in 1996 uh it was the first like real in-depth profile of the band um i don't know how to i don't know how to ask it It, did you did you by 96 you already were a fan okay you had the records and and all that stuff what made you at that time decide to write this this article that got even more people interested I don't know. You know, I, I visited uh, Czechoslovakia for the first time in 1992. Oh, and um, wow. so and, you know, that was only three years uh, after the Velvet Revolution. So, you know, a friend and I went there and you could still see the, you know, the uh, communist uh, influence and, and, you know, the uh, the fact that, you know, we were we were drinking beers in clubs that, you know, a couple of years ago were like communist headquarters and they turned them into clubs. <laughs> so it was it was an exciting time to go there. But, um, you know, then I got back and I uh, when I went there, I brought back a couple uh, plastic people uh, and pull knots uh, CDs that I had uh, found there and um, made some acquaintances. People were sending me tapes and, uh, you know, I just started listening, listening to more about them. And then uh, a friend of mine has a uh, uh, online music magazine. And he, he'd been asking me for years to write about, to, you know, what, to contribute something to his uh, his web his uh, web page because uh, he knows I'm, I'm a big music nut like he is. And he said, come on, write something for me. So I said, OK, it's got to be something I'm passionate about. And I said, it's got to be the plastic people. So finally, in 1996, uh, I, I put that article out. And then, uh, as I said, when I was uh, at that point, I thought the story was over. But what was incredible about it was in 1997, uh, Havel. He was still president. Uh, this was the 20, 20th anniversary of Charter 77, which was the big human rights manifesto that was responsible for the Velvet Revolution. So that was in 1977. This was 20 years later. Havel asked the plastic people to reunite. They had broken up, you know, in, in 88. And he asked them to uh, to reunite just to play one show uh, at a 20th anniversary Charter 77 party. Right. Uh, at the at the castle where he was the president and they the plastics got back together they played the one show and it was such a hit and they loved playing playing again with each other that they decided to tour uh eastern europe in 97 and then they loved that so much they kept on going so uh 
it turned out to be a full reunion. Uh, and in 2001, uh, ha- uh, Halafsa died, the leader of the band. Yeah. Um, but then uh, the band continued on. And really, they were going, uh, playing continuously till I would say, 2015, 2016. And then they broke into two factions. Uh, they have like half of the guys are still using the name. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about that. What was the, what was the reason for that, that fracture, the split to, to be two you different know, bands? I, I would, I would just answer that by saying it was about time. You know, a band playing together for fifty years, it was about time that they would uh, break up for whatever reason. But yeah. two of the guys kept the name, and two other guys uh, hired some younger people, and they called it PPU New Generation. Um, and then they were playing separately with, young, with younger guys, younger guys yeah, in the band. Younger guys, yeah. More now, while um while they were on tour uh, after they reformed, uh, they made their way to New York City. And July eighteenth, nineteen ninety eight, they played Irving Plaza. Uh, right. I did not make that show. I do kind of remember it. I was planning to go, couldn't yeah. make it. Yeah, um, that was the first time they ever played in the U.S. under the name, uh, you know, Plastic People. Plastic People. Yeah, yeah. And then shortly after that, a few months later, uh, in the fall, September, um, Havel had a state visit to the Clinton White House, and he made a very unique kind of request to have Lou Reed play yes. the White House. Yeah, that's, that's I guess, the policy is that whenever a head of state is invited to the White House, they get to pick the musical guest. Now, so, uh, the story goes, I've heard it from different people, is like the, the administration was worried about Lou. <laughs> right, right. This was, this was during the Monica Lewinsky. Monica, uh, right, Monica Lewinsky scandal. And, and, and there you're bringing in, there you're bringing in Lou Reed right. <laughs> with so, certain topics of his music. <laughs> Mr. Walk on the Wild Side. Yeah, didn't yeah. It was uh, a good time for that. But so the Clinton administration, initially they said no, you know, we'd like you to pick somebody else. And the hobble put his foot down. He said, no, he said, yeah. it'll be an insult to me and to the, to the Czech people if we don't have Mr. Lou Reed. Uh, and so Lou Reed went with hobble and what did Lou do? Lou brought the plastic people guy, Milan Halafsa. Yeah. So, you know, there's great, there's, I have pictures of Halafsa with Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and uh, Lou they're Reed in your book, Hoffa. right? I think, I believe they're in your book. I've they're seen in the book. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it was a great moment, you know? Do you know what songs he did? I'm just curious. They did uh, Dirty Boulevard and Sweet Jane, I think. Okay. Yeah. No, no, not too uh, controversial. No. Yeah, those are good songs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Um, all right. So uh, did, did, it, did they play with Frank Zappa anymore? Well, um, Zappa, as I said, he visited them in uh, right. 1990. And then at the time, you know, they had broken up the plastic people and they were going under the name Pullmots. So uh, Zappa did uh, meet Pullmots and uh, he, you know, jammed with them a little bit uh, when he was over there in 1990. And again, they just became friends when um, when the Soviet troops officially left, you know, they withdrew from the country, which was probably, you know, in the early 90s, a couple of years after the, the revolution. Uh, Zappa was invited back again to play a concert, and he uh, he met them again. Um, so yeah, you know they they maintained a great relationship. But uh, those are the two influences. And if you listen to their music, which I hope everybody does, it's a it's a great story. But yeah. the point of my book was to really give more, um, you know, to, to to tell the story, which is amazing. 
but also to uh, to tell people focus on the music too because you never heard music like this it's a combination of zappa velvet underground you got free jazz in there electronica yeah. it's really and it's all done with very primitive instruments it's guitar you know uh, a cheap keyboard uh theremin homemade theremin clarinet it, it, nothing sounds like it you know yeah yeah that's cool that's very cool um yeah um just thinking like if somebody wanted to get into the music like you know if you're watching our podcast and say hey, i want to you know get it what where should you start because you know in your book you kind of have like a like almost like a discography you talk about each each album and there's a lot of live albums too yeah. where, where's a good place to start well the the one place to to look now i would say um there's a a label in Czechoslovakia, czech republic called gorilla records and it's spelled uh, G U E R I L L A. That kind of yeah, like military guerrilla. Like military. So it's yeah. guerrilla, like underground. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a one man operation. Uh, the guy's name is Labus, but he's been putting out uh, music uh, from the Czech underground for for twenty years now, I think. And uh, he recently got uh, the rights to do all all the the six main Plastic People albums. So those are available from him. Um, but also, I would say look on eBay. Um, the the one label that re that reissued most of their stuff back in the uh, the, the uh, mid to late nineties was called Globus Records. And Globus right. is not around anymore, but they were a great Czech label. I remember that label. Reached, uh, I think a eleven CD set with uh, the complete recordings of the Plastic People. So I would say look on eBay and um, also uh, Discogs.com. A great site to get to get used to use mm -hmm. these and uh you know if if you're a, if you're a plastic people fan and you buy my book email me and i'll and i'll i'll send you some stuff because uh i like to spread the word you know yeah definitely and since you mentioned it you know where where's a good place to reach you what's your email so we'll put that on the links and stuff sure. with the show but you could tell everybody if you like yeah i mean i i uh self-published this book you know i didn't uh have a lot of uh, funding for it or anything. I just did it myself, and uh, you know, I paid to get it put together, and I, I uh, printed like 500 books. And um, well, originally I did like 250, and then I did another 250 after the first group sold out. But I'm down to like 30 books now, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll order some more uh, once these are gone. But sales are you know consistent, and I've been selling it around the world. So uh, it's pretty exciting how, you know, I've found fans of the plastic people all around the world. I don't know if everybody's interested in the music or the story or both, or if they're Lou Reed fans or Frank Zappa fans, but, uh, you know, anybody could be interested in this book because it, it covers so much. But, um, you know, if you email me uh, at jyanisic at oponline.net, uh, I can give you the, the link or... Um, you know, I can give you the link, uh, Mike, and uh, you can put it on there. But I do have a web page for the book. Uh, so it's got all the ordering information there. Uh, and it's also available on eBay. Okay. Well, yeah, definitely Mike, put the link up. Link so I can put it up. Definitely. It'll be part of the yeah. podcast. Cool. Definitely. So, Joe, I want to thank you for coming on. You're fantastic. Sure. Uh, great story. Um, fantastic I hope everybody. Story. Yeah, I hope everybody really, you know, digs deep with this band a little bit. Uh, you should at least check out the music, but respect the story. I mean, these the, this band went through hell just to play rock music. And, you know, 
like no other. Let's put it that way. I mean, yeah. there's been persecution of rock stars, but not like this. Yeah, if you like, I think if you like the Velvet Underground, you'll like you'll like their music too. Yeah, and also just to mention quick is I had another band they were influenced by was the Fugs, another right. New York underground band of the sixties. Yeah. Wow, yeah, another know. great influence. Yeah, yeah, the Fugs. Yeah, it's amazing to me that that stuff was making its way all the way past the Iron Curtain into Czechoslovakia, right. but it, know. you know. It doesn't. I mean, it's it's human nature. I mean, stuff like that is you know good art, good music. Exactly. It's gonna find it. It's gonna find its way. You know. Yep, I think. Yeah, so, said. I wanted to ask one more question. So, was the verdict ever overturned for them after being convicted? Was it ever overturned by the courts or anything? I don't believe it was. No, I mean, uh, as far as I know, they never got like a formal pardon or anything. I know that Yvonne Giraud did. Um, yeah. and, uh, and then I think like he got it like, like, uh, a couple months before he died. <laughs> so, uh, he never yeah. got like even the money back that he was owed, but, uh, the plastics themselves, I don't know if they got a formal, uh, apology. Apology. Hmm. Yeah. If they haven't, they should, and they should, they should be in the rock or roll hall of fame too. Anybody listening that could make that happen. Yep. You know? So, all right, Joe Yanisik, thank you very much. Right, appreciate you. you coming on. And um, we will send you uh, the links as soon as everything's available. And send me the link for the for your information. We'll put it all with the podcast. Everybody right. can check it out. All right. I'll send it to you. Great. All right. Thank you very right. much. Have, you have a good night now. Okay. Have a good night. Have a good Take one. You. I'm getting lumped up with Rock Mock and Rob Rossi. Getting loved up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. Well, I'm loved up, but I'm okay. It's gonna get loved up anyway. You better call back and pasta. Just getting loved up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. Getting loved up with Rocker Mike.